You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Today we are talking about trauma and how it affects sex and relationships. And I am joined by gender and relationship therapist, Anna Baxter. Thank you so much for being here. You're very welcome. Now you work with folks uh, in relationships, singles, groups, all of the above. Yep. What have you been seeing over the last little while? Any shifts in challenges or reasons why people are coming in? Oh yeah, with the pandemic, we've had so much more just general depression and anxieties and stuff like that. Um, and lots of relationships who are starting to realize like, oh, when I'm trapped in a house with somebody, it doesn't necessarily work anymore. And I want to try this polyamory thing, but you know how it goes when people try to use polyamory to fix a broken relationship. Yes. And is, is it often one person hoping to? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you do when one partner really wants to open up, especially when they've started as monogamous and the other partner is not so keen? We usually start with kind of understanding that polyamory is a valid option and then we kind of get into a little bit of education about neurological change of thoughts and feelings and that sort of thing to kind of support the partner who's not really thinking about poly as an option in case they might want to change their thinking over the long term and honestly most of the time it's too much work and they end up just breaking yeah, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I think sometimes, you know, therapists are very careful about saying that. Yeah. But it is so true that, you know, I always say compatibility can be cultivated. You can be compatible with lots of different people. You can't be compatible with anyone. And when it comes down to something like being polyamorous or being more inclined toward monogamy, for many of us, that's sort of at the core of our identity. Yeah. Right? Not all of us. I happen to be one of those people who can be in various types of relationships. But I know for many people, it's really a part of our essence. Yep. And so it's not like, well, I really like rough sex and they really like romantic sex. Well, we can probably bridge that gap. Yep. But this is really about how you live, who you are, how you structure your entire life. Like it's tied to your identity, your core principles. And so sometimes I think when people come to you saying, okay, we're having problems in this relationship. I think we should open it up, but my partner isn't keen. Sometimes I think that wanting to open up doesn't necessarily have to do with identity not all the time and more has to do with not wanting to do the work on the relationship to begin with yeah that's what we see a lot of the time what do you do as a therapist if you're seeing that like can you are you comfortable calling them out and I'm not saying that this is the answer for all therapists right but like what's your comfort level (laughs) I try and empower both partners to be honest with themselves and honest with each other about their hopes dreams and visions for relationship in the future and come to their own understanding that there's an incompatibility there if there is right sometimes people are like i see it in theory and i'd like to get comfortable with it it's like cool we'll we'll work on that but if somebody's really against it it goes against a lot of their values and their partner you know wants to try out this poly thing and i get the hunch that the relationship hasn't been healthy for a long time then we start talking about hey think about your vision for your future what is your ideal life what is your ideal relationship and is are they at all similar to each other if they're not then it's not going to be an easy road and they need to make the decision for themselves so i don't i don't really tend to like call it out directly there was one couple that was really abusive with each other so they came in talking about poly stuff but really it was like y'all need to knock off your abuse of each other 
And I called that out very directly. And a couple of weeks later, they just wouldn't stop. So I told them, you need to get divorced. You need to move out. It was the only time that I really had to be that direct with people. But they were being full on abusive with each other. Mm, that's, that's really tough. Yeah. So in addition to people coming in with more relationship problems, higher levels of depression, anxiety, and mental health stuff, the counselors, the therapists are also dealing with more. And it seems that everybody is full, like yeah. waiting oh. lists. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, you know, the caseload maybe is feeling a little bit more emotionally draining and your caseload is higher if therapists are just going to have to cut back if we're going to see a shortage. Yeah. I've already like put pretty stringent limits on like my boundaries around time. I will only see so many clients a week, so many clients in a row and that sort of thing. And the switch to virtual was really difficult for me at least because it cut the amount of data my body and my brain can take in by like at least half. So my brain was working harder, but I had more clients. Right, because you have to do so much more to pick up on like all the nuance, all the delayed facial expressions. Yep. So I haven't seen any research on that, but I'm sure we will see research coming out in oh, yeah. the upcoming years. I've been in, involved in a couple of different research surveys on that topic. All right, on how it's affecting mental health professionals. Yep. Okay, well, I look forward to that. I mean, I, we kind of took a little left turn because I was interested in your work here, but I uh, right. do want to talk about trauma and how it shows up in relationships in and out of the bedroom. So maybe we can start with trauma triggers. So what is a trauma trigger? Where do you see it showing up for people who have maybe a history of of trauma or abuse? So I want to start with a couple of definitions just in case nobody has an understanding of that. Trauma, at least according to the, the DSM, is defined as event that threatens the life or serious injury of a person. It can be directly or witnessed, so a lot of first responders end up with trauma. And then there's a couple of different, like, diagnoses that can be connected to that. We've got acute trauma that happens in the short time after the event, and we've got PTSD that most people are familiar with that is um, at least a couple of months after the traumatic event, and they see, they see symptoms. The symptoms are the same. The only difference is how much time it's been since the event. And then PTSD can be even more specific in that it can be connected to just one event or it can be more complex and connected to a series of events. So like chronic childhood abuse and like that, we'd see a PTSD C and the symptoms can be a lot more varied in that situation. And then there's a couple more attachment based things and that sort of thing. And so when I'm talking about trauma, that's what I'm talking about is things that were physically and or emotionally damaging somebody or even a threat of that so they might not have actually been harmed by an event but if their brain thought they would be that's all it takes so when we talk about triggers that's been become such a, a politicized word right and in mental health what we're talking about is a stimulus of some kind that the brain and the body, the nervous system reacts to in very specific kind of ways. It's not necessarily, I'm angry about this topic, right? That's usually what it means when it's used in political arenas. So common ones are somebody who was sexually assaulted. If they smell something similar to what they experienced during that moment, they'll flash back to that moment or they'll just get all of a sudden a 
symptomatic nervous system response where they're just sitting calmly in a classroom or something and like they can't wait to get out of the room why they don't even realize for themselves sometimes and so when that kind of stuff happens in an intimate moment between a sex partner play partner pickup play partner or even just cuddling that can really like throw the activity off the rails and so if you are being triggered whether it's by as you said a smell or a word or a sound or a memory or a movement or something you see in the mind's eye or in the eye itself yep what are your options like what can you do i want to say in the moment I think I know what you're going to say, but also uh, what are the treatment options available? So first in the moment, and then how are you treating trauma? So in the moment, the amount of options are really broad, and it they're re- they really can be specific to each person. So when I'm working with a client talking about, you know, they've been having episodes of being triggered and, and really overcome with a nervous system activation, that's what we talk about is what is nervous system? What is the autonomic nervous system and what happens in a stressful moment, whether it's genuinely like stressful, like the trauma event, or whether it's an episode where something in the world has triggered it. We talk about how the autonomic nervous system reacts and pumps out chemicals and hormones and redirects glucose into the limbs and then prepares us to fight or flight. And if that doesn't work, then we go into freeze. And sometimes that moment is just a second. Our body will seize up to fight and we realize there's no fighting out of the situation and we'll go into a freeze. Dorsal vagal, if you're familiar with polyvagal theory. A lot of the time, trauma starts with how do we identify these moments within our body? What is my individual symptoms? And then what are the things that helps my body? Sometimes deep breathing exercises will totally trigger somebody, right? If, so, if they're paying that much attention to their body, then it perpetuates worse, you know, activation. Whereas for other people, tuning into the breath as it comes in and leaves the body is a calming experience that gives them a chance to focus on that and turn their their mind's eyes attention away from what may be happening around them, what may be happening within even. So we do a lot of research about deep breathing and parasympathetic nervous system activation. So that's the in the moment. As far as like long-term treatment, some of the go-tos are EMDR and brain spotting. Can you tell us a little bit about EMDR first? Yeah. So I don't do EMDR, but one of my colleagues does. And from what I've gathered, EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization uh, Reprocessing. And the basic idea, they use kind of wands with some lights or some hand movements and that sort of thing to get the eyes moving. And something about the eye moving while they're, they're reviewing and doing kind of a narrative of the traumatic experience opens up the brain, makes it a little more malleable than it might usually be so that we can shift the neurons. What happens for a lot of people is the every time we remember something, we're actually firing those neurons again in the same way. So every time we remember something, we are rebuilding that memory. Every time we remember something, we have the opportunity to change that memory in our brain. And there's another trauma-based treatment that I incorporate a bit more. I'm trying to remember. Post-traumatic growth. I went to a, a class on it, and the core of it is that reprocessing. 
where every time you remember something that happened, the brain is open and malleable for about six hours afterwards. And if you can get people through that moment of remembering without becoming totally unraveled and then complete the story and and integrate more of the meaning of that event in their life and bring them to focus more on their strengths and the resilience and who they are now as a successful human being, as a successful person and a successful soul, because we can really get into the spirituality of stuff too, then it helps to change the emotional response to that memory. So when their, their body remembers that traumatic moment, they will not just remember the fear and the, the anxiety and the pain and everything of that. It will carry through to the rest of their story in their life. And it, over long term, changes the emotional experience of the trauma. And I imagine this is something that therapists have been doing in session for a long time without even having the language mm-hmm. around, you know, things get sort of branded today. And more importantly, beyond therapists, I think healers and communities have been doing this for oh, yeah. generations. We didn't even, we never called it trauma, yeah. right? Like I, trauma is even a newer word. Mm-hmm. For me, but certainly I think about like for my mom's generation and, you know, being from where we're from, that's not that's not language we ever had the permission to use. Yeah. And so I think sometimes for some people it can sound like, oh, when we talk about trauma, everything's trauma. And part of that boils down to semantics. Yes. Right. For, you know, I might have been taught to brush something off as an annoyance for years growing up. Mm-hmm. But a million little annoyances <laughs> mm-hmm. eventually add up to something, especially when that supposed annoyance relates to who you are as a person to your personal safety so aside from the treatment I'd like to think a little bit or talk a little bit about how to manage trauma in relationships so if you have had a traumatic experience that affects the way you will interact with a partner, intimate partner, or even just with a play partner, or even with friends. So it affects the way you might respond, not just in bed, but in the heat of an argument. Yes. Or, you know, in a situation that reminds you of something. What can you do to communicate your history and perhaps your needs and boundaries Mm -hmm. to a partner? How do you walk people through that? The answer is pretty similar whether we're talking like short term maybe like play tonight or long term for an extending relationship the most important thing is to know within ourselves what that pattern is like as the person who has experienced trauma and has ptsd symptoms i need to know what are the triggers what are the things that help so that I can communicate to somebody else? Now that takes time to figure out, mm-hmm. right? It takes emotional regulation skills to be able to recognize that, not totally dissociate out like some people do. And so we really need to do our own work as far as that goes and then communicate that with our partner and, and communicating that in a way of like, if this happens, if you know, I have this response. I want you to know that you haven't done anything wrong. Because a lot of times playing with somebody with trauma, we can be really scared of, oh my God, I did something wrong, right? Depending on what their response is to the situation. And so knowing ahead of time that I haven't done anything wrong and I'm not in trouble in some way, because their nervous system is going to react too, even if they don't have PTSD necessarily. They have a stress response. Basically everybody does. (laughs) 
So communicating ahead of time to know what's going on can be really helpful. There's, for a more long-term relationship, I have, I stole the idea basically, or borrowed the idea from, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting her name, blanking out, but Polyamory Weekly. Like a decade or more ago, she talks about like a guidebook for self. And I've gathered from their templates and other people's templates and put together a starter template for, you know, guidebook to yourself that incorporates those questions about trauma. What are the stories that are important and, and support or like, you know, lead to traumatic response, but also statements like, I feel strong when, and then you can describe a situation, right? That helps that person feel strong. I feel safe when, and then you can fill out, you know, things that support that person feeling safe. And when we know that information, then we know how to help somebody when they're really activated. If they need to feel safe, then we know. We have it written out when they were calm, right? When they had all of their faculties, they wrote that stuff out for the future version of themselves. And so this guidebook, this, I guess it's a self-help book, but also a, a workbook. It's it, just one sheet of paper. Oh, it's okay. It's a worksheet. Yeah, is, it at love, is it at lovepositivecounseling.com? Not yet, but I can put it on there. Okay. We'll get, we'll get it on there up in time. Up in yes. time. We can also put that in the show notes if you're okay with it. Yeah. But of course, we want to drive people to follow you and check out your site. Now on the flip side, so the person who has experienced trauma can do this self-reflection, can really think about what their needs are, can set boundaries, can be specific and communicating it to their partner. And as you said, their partner also has their own nervous system. Yep. And so as a partner of somebody who's experienced trauma, what can you do to be supportive? Are there questions you can ask? Is mm -hmm. there a way to give them a certain type of space? And then of course, I mean, you, you said this in all of your answers, every single situation is going to be different. Every person right. is different. Like we don't have a magic wand or a formula. Otherwise yeah. we'd be on our rocket ship going to, to the moon too. Yep. <laughs> yep. So what can I do if, if my partner has disclosed that they've experienced trauma? How can I be supportive? So I'm imagining the scenario where I've been in relationship with somebody for a little while at least, and then they, they'd tell me that, hey, by the way, I've experienced trauma. I would ask basically, what is it you need from me? And what what do you need in general, like in your life to be and feel your best self? right? And ask those questions of what helps you feel strong, what in the world, what within yourself helps you feel strong, helps you feel safe, helps you feel loved, right? And kind of put together a plan within yourself. If you know that they tend to react in a certain way, if they have a pattern, their nervous system tends to react in the same ways. And you could put in your head a, a plan of action based on their answers. When I do the trauma and triggers class at Frolicon with some friends of mine, they often talk about negotiation questions and how some people don't realize that they've experienced trauma. So Sometimes we'll get a crisp, clean, hey, by the way, I had this traumatic experience. And sometimes the person we're working with, playing with, doesn't even realize that what they went through was trauma. And what they experience occasionally is a trauma trigger. And so asking those questions of everybody I play with is important. 
Like, what makes you feel unsafe? What makes you feel, like, scared in a bad way? What makes you feel strong? What makes you feel safe? What turns you on? What, like, what activates your stress response? Being a therapist, I can't help but use that language, you know? <laughs> but other people would probably say, you know, what terrifies you right. in a bad way? Just to kind of tease out things that they might not have thought of. Yeah, I think these are really important conversations. So you're talking about, you know, using them with a new play partner, even if they're casual. But I think they're really valuable in long-term relationships as well. Absolutely. Right? And I think maybe those are questions we haven't asked and or you haven't asked in a very long time. And mm-hmm. things are always changing. So I think that's a great kind of piece of homework mm-hmm. for people to take home and try. And it doesn't have to be with an intimate partner either, right? Like when you think about how we have fights with friends or get annoyed with friends or have, you know, people will call it drama, but sometimes it's just, you know, people reacting to things without realizing what they're reacting to. So I think those are great questions. Like, when do you feel most confident? When do you feel most safe? Really, really helpful. And then the other piece that I think might be important is what do you need when you feel this way? Uh, Mm -hmm. And I think you brought that up. And then the flip side of that for me is what do you not need? (laughs) Yeah. Like I have this exercise, you know, when I'm angry at my family, I want you to listen. I don't want you to pile on, right? When I'm pissed off about something at work or nervous about something at work, I want you to hold me. I don't want you to offer solutions. And my partner and I, Brandon, have done this and I've done this with many couples and I find it really useful because, well, if I know that what I want when I'm feeling stressed out is a hug, I might come give you a hug and that could actually be overwhelming for you regardless of whether or not, you know, you've experienced trauma. Certainly for someone who's experienced trauma, it could Mm -hmm. enact a trigger or be a trigger and enact those responses in the bodies that you describe. But for other people they just don't want to hug like it's annoying it feels overwhelming you're too close to me (laughs) all of those things and I think this is a great reminder that our needs and our what's the opposite of a need a boundary (laughs) something we don't want Mm -hmm. change over time right like the pandemic has really changed what I want from people yeah whereas like two years ago I would have said I want a hug now I'm like people don't touch me don't touch me don't lick me don't poke me don't play with my hair six feet six feet means six feet (laughs) just ask first right right so I think this is a, a great opportunity and I think a really important discussion for people regardless of whether or not they've experienced trauma or their partner has and a really important piece that you brought up is that some people don't realize or don't acknowledge the trauma. And even if they do acknowledge the trauma, they may not acknowledge their triggers. Yes. Right? Like, yes, yes, okay, if you freeze, you're probably going to notice it. But what if you just get combative? What if you become accusatory? What if you withdraw? What if you get really irritable? Like irritability is one of those symptoms attached to trauma, to depression, to anxiety. So many things. Right, that we ignore. We just think we're in a bad mood. Right. We think we're impatient people. We think, you know, good, bad, dichotomize. Mm -hmm. So this is, a, I think, a great start of a conversation and really encourage people to use these questions you've provided to them regardless of relationship status or type of relationship. Absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, folks. Of course, you can follow along with Anna Baxter at Love Positive Counseling, and we'll be sure to put their Twitter handle and all their links up on the show notes as well. So thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Learn so much. And just a quick reminder, folks, that tsc.ca in Canada, that is our online 
shopping channel is offering 25% off all of their sexual wellness products, including the high-end brands that honestly never get discounted that deeply with code DRJESS25. So please do head over to tsc.ca. The full link is tsc.ca slash intimatelyyou. And while you're there, you can actually watch our episodes that I'm super excited about. As you know, we have episodes on sex post-menopause, on pelvic floor health for orgasms, on anal sex tips, on how to last longer in bed. We've got obviously some really incredible experts joining me there, Dr. Jessica Shepard, Luna Matadas, just to name a few, as well as many, many more. You know I'm thrilled and super excited to be hawking dildos on national TV. (laughs) So if you're able to check it out and share, please, please do. And again, if you are shopping tsc.ca, I will put the full link, tsc.ca slash intimatelyyou, in my IG bio to make it easier. And the savings code is drjess25. So thanks so much for being here wherever you're at. Have a great one. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.